You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. To understand hope, we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament, which I think is great that God would put this in his holy scriptures, because there's a limited amount of books, and God kind of made this decision. I want this story of this young girl in her 20s, and I want to give it an entire book because she really is a model and a lesson of what it means to live by hope. And her name is Ruth, and I encourage you later today to read that little book. That story is there really to give us an understanding of what it means to live by the hope that God gives us, because that's what Ruth did. But to know Ruth's story, you actually have to go back a few years earlier to a lady named Naomi and her husband named Elimelech. They were Jewish people living in Bethlehem. But there was a famine in Bethlehem and things were really difficult. So they emigrated to another nation called Moab. They literally sold all of their land and they moved. Some of you have emigrated to New Zealand and you've moved here and you've made this your home. They did the same thing. They kind of set that behind them and they became part of Moab. And we know that because they had two sons who took on Moabite names. And these two sons married two Moabite girls. And then tragedy hit the family. The father died, and the two sons died, and Naomi is left with nothing. She has very few options. She's old, she does, can't work, she no longer has a husband and sons, and she decides she's going to move back to Bethlehem. And she goes to her two daughter-in-laws, and she says this to them. She says, listen, it is in your best interest if you go back to your families, your Moabite families. I'm going to move to Bethlehem. Now, she's old, and she really would be destitute in Bethlehem, so it's in Naomi's best interest if the daughter-in-laws go with her, if they would be able to work and help her to live. But out of this moment of sacrificial love, Naomi tells them, no, no, you go to your families. One daughter-in-law takes her advice and goes, but the other daughter-in-law is so impacted by this sacrificial love that she has this moment, really, of conversion where she makes the choice of hope in God, and she decides to go with Naomi. Here's what Ruth says in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. She says, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. She goes on to say, listen, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. Hope is a choice you make. It's a choice that Ruth made. She had this encounter of faith and she made this choice. And it's a choice you make every single morning when you say, today I will live by hope. But for Ruth and for us, it's a divine choice. Hope is not optimism. Hope does not simply look at the natural circumstances and have a desire that those circumstances will get better. Hope does not look at what is seen. Hope looks at what is unseen. It focuses eyes on the kingdom of God and who he is and what he can bring. And so hope is this divine choice that you make every morning. And when you do that, you begin to walk in a faith and a confidence that God has. Ruth makes a serious choice here. Where you die, I will die. This is a life commitment she has to live her life by hope. Hebrews 10.23 says this. It says, listen, we will hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Ruth is going to a far more difficult circumstance. Her choice of hope means her natural circumstances are going to get harder. 
They're going to be poor. She's a Moabite, a pagan, going into Israel where she could be harmed, killed, or raped. And yet she's going because hope changes your outlook on things. Your circumstances may be the same, but your outlook is much different. And Ruth is making this choice of hope, saying, listen, I am going to live by hope. Hebrews says, you got to hold on to that choice. God knew life would have its challenges and its difficulties. You got to hold on to it unswervingly because he who promised is faithful. And some of you are here this morning and you are facing huge challenges and God is aware of that. And he's saying, listen, make the choice of hope, not just optimism, looking at the natural, but the choice of hope. Hold on to that. It was a while back. I was in a nation where everybody travels by train and the trains are, you know, kind of older and they don't have doors and they cram everybody in. And it's so crowded that you don't even need to hold on. When you're in the train, there's so many people, they just kind of hold you up as you walk around in the train. It was so crowded, we came to one stop, and I needed to get out just to stretch my legs. And I got to stretch my legs, and a whole bunch of people get on the train. And the train starts pulling out, and I realize I gotta get on this train, but there's no room. There's three metal steps leading to the entrance of the train with these bars on the outside of the train car. And the only thing that's available is the very bottom metal step. So I step on it, and I just grab the outside of the train car. This train car is full of people, and we start going, and I'm just kind of hanging on. We're going like 50 miles an hour down the train tracks, and it's actually kind of fun because I'm just holding on, no big deal. And I'm looking at the ground behind me, and it's kind of exciting. And then all of a sudden, we went around a corner. And when we went around the corner, the man who was sitting, standing on the second step above me, who was a very, very large man, fell into me. Now I'm really holding on. I'm going, oh, Jesus, you got to help me. And I'm looking at the ground much differently. And he's falling into me. And I look at him, and his face is right here. And he's laughing. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I see no humor in this whatsoever. And I'm trying to hold on not to let go while this heavy weight is in my face. And I thought it's a picture sometimes of our life with Christ. It's like we're holding on. It seems to be kind of fun and good. And then this weight presses on us a hardship and a difficulty we didn't expect. And sometimes it's almost as if it laughs at us. And God says, there's going to be some hard times, but you got to make this choice, a choice of hope. Every morning, I will set my eyes, not on what is seen in circumstances, but I will set my eyes on what is unseen, the kingdom of God, which is far more reliable than anything else that is there. Because this happens, as Romans says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. God encounters us and deposits in us by his spirit. I can make the choice of hope. Ruth makes this choice. So Ruth and Naomi, they move to Bethlehem. And Ruth begins to glean the fields. There was a law in the Old Testament that said, if you owned land, you couldn't harvest all the land. You had to leave the edges so poor people could go and glean the fields so they could eat. And Ruth does this. Now, it doesn't look that exciting. It doesn't even look that stellar. What Ruth begins to do is whatever's set before her. You make the choice of hope, but then hope involves an action that we do to do what God has laid before us. She begins to glean the fields. Ruth chapter 2, verse 3 says this. So Ruth entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. It just happened she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. It just happened that Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. Hope is a choice you make, but hope is an action you take. 
And sometimes that action looks really mundane. It looks really ordinary, and you begin to wonder. God is a God of the supernatural, but when we do the natural, oftentimes behind the scenes, God is working divinely. We just can't see it. It just happened that Ruth showed up in the field that belonged to this guy named Boaz. It just happened that he was coming back from a trip and was there and met her. Behind our ordinary activity is an extraordinary God at work, and we may not see it, but he is very active. That's what hope bases itself on, that he's involved in doing these active kinds of works. This is what Ruth is teaching us through this passage. She just does it, because if you don't have hope, despair will paralyze you. You lose your job. And without hope, you go, why should I even fill out an application? There's no job for me. But with hope, you go, I'm gonna do what's laid before me to do. And when you do the ordinary, God does the extraordinary behind the scenes. Here's the catch. You don't see that till afterwards. Hope is what gives you the faith and the courage to act on that. We have three children. Our first daughter was biological. And then my wife had two miscarriages, and that can create a measure of despair. Hope is a choice that you make. Hope is an action that you take. So we decided that God wanted us to adopt a child. We went to an agency to see if we could adopt a child, and they turned us down. They said we didn't qualify for it. And despair could set in, but you focus your eyes on what is not seen. Because you know God is working behind the scenes. And some of you this morning, down at South, here, you need to know God is working behind the scenes in your life. So I'm getting ready to go to China for a two-week trip, first time ever. I get a fax from a ministry in the States that works in Russia, but they had gotten a fax from a Christian in China. For some reason, contacted them. They didn't know why. They didn't know how this guy had gotten their number, but it just happened that he sent them a fax saying, would you please come work in China? They had no idea what this was about. It just happened that the week earlier, I was talking to this ministry and was telling them about my trip to China. It just happened the guy who got the fax had had that conversation with me, so he sent that fax to me in my office. It just happened that that fax came one hour before I left my office to go to the airport to get on a plane to China. I grab the fax, I stick it in my briefcase. Don't think about it. Spent two weeks traveling around China, talking to pastors and leaders just to understand what God may have me do there. It's the day that I'm supposed to fly home, but it's a national holiday, so everything is closed, and I don't fly home till later that day. So I decided I would repack, and it just happened that this fax, which is a little piece of paper scrunched down in the bottom, fell out of my briefcase, and I opened it up and remembered it. But it just had his business number on it, and everything is closed. So I thought, well, at least I'll call him and leave a voicemail. It just happened that this guy had stopped by his office literally for three minutes to pick up some papers on his way to his house. And when the phone rang, it just happened that he felt impressed to pick up the phone rather than let it go to voicemail. I'm on the other end, he's never met me. I tell him who I am and I'd love to talk to him. And he said, Joel, I would love to be able to talk to you about China a bit, but this is Beijing, it's a huge city. Where's your hotel? It just happened that my hotel was right next door to his office. I literally walked out of my hotel and walked into his office. It just happened that he was an international adoption lawyer. It just happened that he said, I can get a daughter for you and your wife. It just happened that he said, and I'll waive all of my fees. I got on a plane that evening, and I flew back to Chicago. My wife picked me up at the airport. When she picked me up, I told her the story, and we held hands. 
It just happened that that was the very day our daughter Lisa was born in China. This is the God that we serve. He is a God of the it just happened. Hope is a choice that you make, but it is also an action that you take. And sometimes the action looks really mundane and very ordinary, but there is an extraordinary God working behind the scenes in your life. This is what happens to Ruth. She shows up and it just happens that Boaz is there and they make a connection and he gives her a bunch of food and she takes it back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she explains to Naomi what happened and Naomi goes, he could be the guy. He could be the one. Now to understand the story, there are two laws in the Old Testament that are very important for the story. One's called the kinsman redeemer. God made a law because he cares about generations that if you got married, but your husband did not give you children and he died, one of your husband's family members could marry you and give you children, so the lineage could continue. Then there was another law that said if, if you had property, but you lost the property, like Naomi had, somebody in the clan could buy the property back for you. But it was very expensive, and they don't get the property, you get the property. Who on earth would do this? Who would marry Ruth, buy property, give it all back, give her the opportunity to be an heir to all the goods? Can you imagine Ruth going on, you know, Match.com, pagan Moabite girl, looking for honorable Jewish man, must buy me land, crabby mother-in-law included in the deal. <laughs> Naomi goes, he could be the guy. And then Ruth does the outrageous. Story goes that she shows up at nighttime. And when you read it, it'll say that she says, throw your garment over me. But literally what she is doing is she is saying, Boaz, will you marry me? She proposes to him. In an ancient culture where women barely had an identity, Ruth does the outrageous act of proposing to him. Because when you have hope as a choice, and hope is an action you take. Sometimes you do the very ordinary mundane and God's at work, but sometimes he asks you to do the outrageous because of a hope that you have. And Ruth does the absolutely outrageous. Who would do this? Who would pay such a price? Who would marry an outcast and a pagan and be shunned by the community? Who would make her an heir to all the wealth of his estate? Do you see the picture that Ruth is painting of Jesus Christ? Because we were that outcast. And at a great price, he bought us back. And he literally married us as the bride of Christ. And he gives us access to all of the resources, co-heirs with him, even though we did nothing to acquire it. This is a picture of who Jesus is. And that's what we base our hope on. And sometimes when we choose hope and we act on hope, sometimes it's not ordinary. Sometimes it's outrageous. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 12 says this, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Ruth had such a hope that she was able to do the outrageous. And there are some of you who are here this morning, some of you down south listening to my voice, and God wants you to know if you have a hope then you will step out in faith and do the outrageous. And sometimes stepping out in faith to do the outrageous is what solidifies that hope. There's a story of this throughout the scriptures. There's a lady in the New Testament. 
And she's got this issue, this illness of bleeding. And it means that culturally, she's not allowed to be in public. She's not allowed to be with anybody because she's unclean. But she has a hope. She has a hope that the Messiah can heal her. And based upon that hope, she does the outrageous. She goes out of her home. She goes into the community. She touches the crowds just to break through to touch the hem of his garment. She's doing the outrageous. Everybody would look at her wondering, why are you doing this? But she knows the prophet Malachi had given a prophecy that says when the Messiah comes, he will have healing in his wings. And that word wings literally means the tassels of the clothing. So she knows the prophet has said, the Messiah's got healings in the hem of his garment. I gotta touch the hem of the garment. And she does something bold and outrageous because of the hope that she had. What's the hope that you have? That God will lead you to do something outrageous in faith because of it. Because Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith, is being certain of what we hope for. Ruth knew her hope. Do you? God wants to have an encounter with you, a divine encounter where by the power of the Holy Spirit, he dumps hope in you, and that's the forerunner. When you have a hope, then faith follows that, and the ability to step out follows that. I have a friend, and when he turned 50, he had such a hope that God had a divine purpose for his life that he switched careers. He went back to law school and became a lawyer because God really cares about justice on this earth. He did the outrageous. People said he was crazy. He had a great career at 50, going back to law school. But he had a hope in the purpose that God had for his life. What hope do you have? I know this young man, and he's got some bad habits. But he had such a hope that Jesus could free him of those bad habits that he did the outrageous. He got together with a few other young men in a small group and he was transparent. And he told them about his struggles. And for him and for many people, that would be the outrageous because we stay hidden about our struggles. But it was a hope that he had been given by the Holy Spirit that enabled him to do the outrageous. As we talk about having conversations that matter, for some of you, the outrageous is walking across the street and having a conversation with a neighbor or even a family member. But when you allow God to give you a hope that establishes a certainty then you're willing to step out and say, I'm gonna do the outrageous for me. I will walk across the street and I will share what Jesus means to me because I have a hope in God and how he can save somebody by the power of the gospel. This is what hope is. It's a choice that you make. It is an action that you take. So Ruth goes to Boaz. She says, listen, will you marry me? And Boaz seems to be really open to the idea but then sure enough, the story takes the twist that it often happens to us because Boaz says, Ruth, you gotta wait. You gotta wait because there's somebody else in the village who's actually first in line. And Boaz is an honorable man. He says, I've gotta go talk to that guy first. You gotta wait. And Ruth goes back to Naomi. And Ruth is kind of frustrated. It's like, wow, I have this hope in God. I do what is ordinary, knowing God's at work, then I do what is outrageous. I step out in faith. And the response is I have to wait. And Naomi says this to Ruth in Ruth chapter 3, verse 18. She says, Naomi said, wait, my daughter, 
until you find out what happens. And that parallels so often what happens in our life. I have a hope in Jesus and I step out in faith and then I have to wait to see what happens. I hate waiting. Do you like waiting? I hate waiting. I hate waiting of any kind. I hate lines where you have to wait. I was in the grocery store a little while back and in my city, they, they have an express lane, 10 items or less. And I got into that line with my six items and the lady in front of me had 14 items. And I know because I counted them. And I thought, wow, I know our society is falling apart, but could we please keep the important rules like the express lane rules? And my blood pressure is going up because I hate waiting. And she gets all rung up and then she does the unthinkable. She pulls out a bank check to write a check out for her groceries. And I'm dying because I cannot believe, what am I in the 1970s and people are still writing bank checks here. I'm, my, I'm so frustrated because I have to wait. I get waiting for people, but waiting for God, when he can do anything at any time, and he says, wait, hope is a choice that I make, yes, I have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and then I step out and I do this act of faith, and then he says, wait, and if you do not understand waiting in the kingdom, it will mess you up. And hope quickly becomes despair. And some of you here or at South may be thinking, wow, I've been waiting and hope has really been dissipating. But you see it as a theme throughout all of Scripture, this idea of waiting. Because waiting is not something you do simply until your problem gets resolved. Waiting is how you live in hope and faith. It goes from Genesis to Revelation. So God creates humankind and everything is great and we decide we want to be in control and sin comes in and now we need a redeemer and we have to wait for a redeemer. And God comes to Abraham and he gives him a promise of a son by which a redeemer will come. But that promise takes almost 30 years to come into reality. How long have you been waiting for a promise? Isaac is finally born and there's Jacob and Joseph. 12 sons, the Israelite nation is beginning to form, but now they go into captivity in Egypt, and they're in captivity for 400 years waiting for a deliverer. And God finally raises up Moses, who delivers them out of captivity. Now they think we can go into the promised land. We can establish the kingdom, but fear and doubt set in. And they end up wandering in the wilderness, waiting 40 more years. Finally, under Joshua's leadership, they go into the promised land. They settle there. They have kings and they have prophets. And they're waiting for the Messiah. And when you close Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and open up the next page of Matthew chapter 1, another 400 years have gone by. And they're waiting. You can understand why the disciples, when they came to Jesus, one of the first things they asked him was, Don't you care? Isn't it now? Now will you set up your kingdom? Now will you establish it? And Jesus' response is this. No, you gotta wait. <laughs> gotta wait a little bit longer. And they're waiting, and he dies, and he resurrects. And before he ascends, one of his last commands to him is go and wait. And they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, and they don't know if they're waiting a day, or a year, or 400 years. And God is teaching us something about living in hope and faith and the role that waiting plays 
because the Holy Spirit comes, the church is planted, the gospel goes out, and you read the book of Revelation, of which we're a part, and here we are with our hands lifted up saying, Lord, we're waiting. When are you going to come back? And if you don't understand waiting and the incredible gift that it is for you, hope will dissipate. You see, we think waiting about like world terms. We think waiting is like going to the doctor's office. You ever been to the doctor's office? In America, you make an appointment to go to the doctor's office. Say at 2 o'clock, this information is meaningless to the doctor. He could care less. You're not going to see him at 2 o'clock. You have to wait. They literally have a waiting room where you wait. You know there's a doctor. You know he's helping people. And you're just waiting for your turn. And this is sometimes how we see waiting with God. And when we see it that way, our hope dissipates very quickly. And finally, you know, the nurse kind of pokes her head out of the door, and she's going to call one of the names while you're all sitting there waiting, and you're hoping she calls your name. She calls the person next to you, and you kind of slump back in your seat. And sometimes this is how we see God. We know he's active. We hear stories of what he's doing for other people, and we're wondering, when is my turn? But when you see waiting that way, you're going to miss out on the greatest gift that God has for you in waiting. Because here's how the Bible describes waiting in 2 Peter chapter 3. To the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow in doing what he promised, the way some people understand slowness. But God is being patient with you. He says, listen, when you have to wait, hope is a choice you make. Hope is an action that you take, and sometimes it's ordinary, and sometimes it's outrageous. But then you wait, but when you wait, something supernatural happens inside of you. You begin to be formed into Christ, and the joy and peace that fills you isn't just based upon the circumstances. It's based upon his presence and his kingdom in your life, and you become like Jesus. And all of a sudden, there is a hope now that is greater than just your need being met. There is a hope that flows out of you to other people, and the world is astounded because they see the hope that you carry. That's why Isaiah says, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. We think, no, when God answers my prayer, I'll renew my strength. He goes, no, no, if you get waiting, if you have a hope and you know there's a joy and peace and you will get stronger while you wait. Here's the story of Ruth. Make a choice. Act on that choice of hope. Realize that while you wait, God is active, but where he's most active is in you. Forming his character in you. And there's a joy and a peace and a faith and a confidence because you are not looking at your circumstances. But the Ruth story doesn't end with waiting because God is here to meet your needs and he's here to meet your desires. Ruth and Boaz get married and they have a son. Here's what it says in Ruth chapter four. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to a son they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Hope is a choice you make. Hope is an action you take. Hope is waiting. But then hope is an answer that you receive. And you'll receive it on two levels, just like Ruth did. On one level, Ruth and Naomi, they get what they had desired, what they had prayed for. Ruth gets married, the land is bought back, and they actually have a son. What could be better than that? And you've come here this morning and you have a need and you have a hardship 
you have a dream or desire. And God is at work meeting that need, meeting that dream. And in your mind, you're going, what could be better than an answer to that prayer? And God will answer that prayer. And you hold on to a hope, but there's another level. Ruth and Obed had no idea that their son would be the grandfather of King David from whom Jesus the Messiah would come. They had no clue that there was a whole nother thing going on where God was establishing his kingdom through them. And when we come to God and we say, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give me hope that I can choose it every morning, that I can act on it, that I can be strong while I'm waiting, knowing you'll answer. We have this confidence that God is actually doing more than just answering our need. There's something greater going on that he wants to reach the world through you. And you may not even be aware of it till the other side of eternity. It may be your children's children, like it was for Ruth and Obed, but you have this hope. That's why hope is not just what gets us from one hardship to another hardship. It is what sustains us through all of life on this earth. We live by hope because the one who promised is faithful. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will overflow with hope. Gang, have you realized how much our society needs hope? How desperate they are? And hope is not something that is taught. It's something that's caught. It's the spirit that carries your conversations where they get the truth, but then they see in you this hope. God wants to deposit hope in you. You can't conjure it up. You can't psych yourself up. You can't earn it. It's a divine encounter by the power of the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.